It is my utter privilege. What we've done through this series is we're doing shorter talks. If you're a guest here, you're thinking, man, are they about to do three 45-minute talks? I've heard what this church is like. No, no, it's not going to be that long. But they are going to be immense quality. And what we've done is we've... uh, looked at each of the areas that we're looking at as we've said actually who do we think within the family within the community lives this that actually would benefit each of us and from week in week out we've just heard from so many different people and how it's built us and challenged and changed us and so first up I'm going to get to get us to hear from Matt Wood who's going to come and share Matt is normally a full-time teacher he's therefore on the back of an end of term on this Sunday thinking man with all the energy sucked out I'm still going to come and give to you guys which I think is amazing can we welcome him and thank him Hi guys, I'm Matt, I'm a secondary school teacher Um, most of you will will know me in church Um, married to Catherine uh, have two boys, Isaac and Nathan. Um, some of you will be in our house group, uh, which we host. Uh, others will be people uh, that I've built friendship with, or we've built friendship with. We would have uh, shared highs and lows on the football field and in life. Um, others will have just seen me hoiking Nathan from the pulpit when Adrian's preaching. He's in strict, strict orders to stay in the crash today. Um, some of you won't know me so well. Um, I'd hope you'd know me as a friendly face nonetheless. Um, but regardless of how you know me, really feel urged to say that we're all family here in our church, um, and we're joined with those around all of the world in every church who say that Jesus is their saviour, and he's been put in charge of their life. Um, and we've been made totally equal before God by the fact that we've realised, first and foremost, our weakness as men and women, our sin, that in our own strength sees us fall short. Um, <clears throat> sees us fall short and separated from a holy God and has taken us away from him, but also made equal by the fact there's joy that Jesus lived the perfect life for us, one, the one that for all of my and our efforts we can't live. Um, he lived it fully connected to God and that by dying on the cross, he trampled on and removed our sin and weakness and said that you and I can forever identify with him, not with our weakness, as holy, blameless, forgiven accepted and loved by a father God. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? Okay, so if we get another next slide on, that would be great. Good. So I've entitled this Confession and Vulnerability because I think the two things go hand in hand um, with the question, what if people see who I really am? Great. So I am, Matt Wood, totally saved and forgiven. Uh, I'm loved and accepted by God. And my Christ one identity says that I am holy and blameless before God. I almost balk at saying that because it sounds like I'm boasting, but it's not any boast in myself. But yet, and I wonder who can relate to any of these struggles, I can come back from work really tired and short with my family. Um, I'll fail to give my best to my boys. Um, Could be a broken puzzle piece. Could be a lost Lego helmet. Could be a spilt drink or just a simple request to play can see me respond in an unwarranted cross way. Sometimes when I'm driving, and we all know that we're the best drivers, I can see what I perceive to be be poor driving from someone else on the road. But worse than that, I'll make snap judgments when I look at the driver about their age or how they look. Wow, I'm harboring stuff in there. Sometimes I can feel prompted to leave a conversation potentially at work that's negative or gossipy, um, but I can linger there slightly longer than I knew was right, perhaps satisfying an element of curiosity about
about what might be being talked about. When life's busy and my to-do list is lengthening, I can crack on in my own strength, not pausing to seek God, and in doing so, I can become too focused on the task, not people. I can see the next pupil's problems that, cut, that, that comes to me in my office as just another thing to do, forgetting the fact that I hold a key part of their life in my hand. I can get insecure in these times. I can look inwards, not upwards, thinking I've got something to prove. I can start comparing myself to others, forgetting or ignoring what God says about me. And I can either feel validated by my successes or when the comparison isn't as favorable, I can feel jealous and insecure. These are human struggles. These are my struggles. And I don't want them to be what I live in. So we've got an enduring battle to continue to look towards God, not ourselves. But we've been programmed from day one to look inwards, find answers through hard work, appearances, and reputation. Let's have the next slide. And the next one, thanks. Cool. So to start with, I am totally loved and accepted. My identity is fixed, regardless of this programming that says I've got to find answers through hard work, appearances, reputation, and the like. Just yesterday, I was making Nathan breakfast, and he was sitting genuinely like an angel. I suppose it's for the father's eyes, but like an angel at the breakfast bar, sleepy hair horns everywhere, sleepy eyes, clutching his bear, and I went in big, as I often do with my boys. And I get a bit, we get a bit of I love you pointing going. So I went in, and I said, came in through, through the, uh, the patio doors, and I said, Nathan, I love you. And he looked at me and he said, I want a lollipop. (laughs) Now my first thoughts, naturally, as a loving father, is what on earth is Catherine feeding these boys for breakfast? (laughs) But, and I'm not suggesting anyway that Nathan was sitting there, dear boy, but how often am I and we like this in response to God's love for us in Jesus? Preoccupied with our own thoughts, too busy to listen to God, what he says about us, and as a result, failing to love God and neighbours and our neighbours in a way that Jesus has loved us. But I still stand here, totally saved and forgiven, loved and accepted by God. My Christ one identity says that I am holy and blameless before God. As Paul said in Philippians 4.12, not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And in recent times, I've been encouraged by dear friends, by those who are further on in the journey than me, to own the areas inside me that need changing in order to disown them from my life, to own them so that I can disown them from my life, letting Jesus take them and allowing the Holy Spirit to change and mend me. And there is power, therefore, in confession and vulnerability to bring this about. St. Augustine said that the confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. The owning of the stuff inside us that isn't what it should be is the beginning of disowning it. And we can own the areas of life where we know we're weak or sinful in order to disown them. And we can do this without fear or rejection from God. Jesus not only lived blamelessly for us, but he was rejected wholly for us. We never have to fear that. So we can do this encouraged in the first instance that any awareness of sin is in itself evidence of Jesus working in us and assured that our identity is fixed 
And God is a loving, gracious Father whose mercies are new every day. Which comes to my third point, which is the same as the first, because confession begins with a fixed identity and it ends with a fixed identity. The stuff in the middle is Jesus working it out. So how do we do it? If we go to the next one. Thank you. And again. Great. So number one, uh, we come out of hiding. Assured of our identity, we don't need to hide. There's a great song by a worship singer called Stephanie Gretzinger. Best I've ever said that, Kath. You don't need to hide what I already see. It says, come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. It's like a song as if Father God is singing to us. Come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. You don't need to hide what I already see. Sin brings about shame. And Adam and Eve hid from God after sinning. Shame causes us to hide. But on the cross, Jesus shamed sin. He beat it. And in Christ, therefore, we are no longer defined by it. In our society, reputation is everything. How we're seen, how much we earn, how our kids behave, how hard we work. And despite what we project and what others project, there are no superhumans. So therefore, when we see what we perceive to be superhumans, we airbrush our lives. Just have a look at this picture. This is actually a brilliant campaign. And I will just say as an aside, I'll put my teacher hat on for a second. If you've got teenage girls or boys, it's worth looking at this Dove campaign because they they expose airbrushing and the idea that actually what we see, we've got a normal, lovely, pretty lady turned into a billboard lady. And it's all through airbrushing. This is just one tiny little factor One tiny little example of how reputation and appearance and image dictates how we uh, perceive to be, what we perceive to be right and brilliant. So it's no surprise in the backdrop of that that actually we can find ourselves airbrushing our Christianity for other people, projecting an image that we're happy for others to see. Confession and transparency of our our struggles, therefore, is really key to us living according to grace. We need to be real about our struggles and confess them on a daily or even hourly, minute-by-minute basis. Not in any way other than a sustained acknowledgement of our need for Jesus. Saying, I need you, Jesus. I need you. And it isn't sin alone that stops us living in the fullness of Christ and our identity and what he's won for us. It's actually sin that we haven't then owned and exposed to the saving grace and kindness of Jesus. And when we do this, it actually reveals the loving heart of the Father and allows us to be restored and changed by the Holy Spirit. Great, let's go to the next one. Cool. So, number two, how do we do it? Got to keep it simple as a teacher. We do it. How do we do it? We do it. We are now forever defined by Jesus' perfection, not our weakness. Confession doesn't somehow secure our identity. It just helps us to live in light of it. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Faith in Jesus' life and resurrection is all we need. We approach a holy God, but knowing that he identifies us as totally blameless because of Jesus, so we can confess, we can be real and transparent with God now, on our own, and we can continue to do so. But we're not meant to battle through challenges, any challenge in life, including when we're faced with things inside us that we know need changing. We're not meant to battle through these things on our own. 
We're built for relationship. We've been placed in churches, in small groups, in friendship groups to encourage each other to pursue Jesus. Sometimes sin and doubt and fear and lies about ourselves or lies about how good God is are so entrenched that actually we can find it hard to claim the truth of forgiveness on our own. And we, find ourselves go, we can find ourselves going around in circles, doubting whether we're forgiven, whether, whether God is actually as faithful as maybe we perceive everyone else to find him. And I'm, we can ask ourselves this type of question, am I sure I've confessed? Have I confessed everything? Maybe I didn't confess. We can get ourselves into knots if we try and do it all on our own. This is a surefire way to get us airbrushing, putting on our Sunday best, and hiding again. And God's desperate that we don't do that. It's a massive journey I've been on and still will go on. But God is faithful. He is faithful. And our identity is totally fixed. But to live in this, we do need our church family and our friends and our brothers and our sisters in the church to stand with us. And in our busy lives, I would say that confessing and being vulnerable with others is absolutely critical. So James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I have my wife Catherine to share with. She's gone, I think. I am part of a WhatsApp group where I share my need for God. Here she is. (laughs) And I'm inspired by the way some of the other men on that group do share so vulnerably. Beyond this, I've got some of my closest mates who I've been able to share with, things that have cropped up, things that I've thought, wow, I'm really shaped by that and I don't want it to be. It's not what God's best is for me and I've been able to share that. I've got a small group each week to share my needs. But this, although I've said it's easy, we just do it, it's hard. And, I, and even in this setting, in small group among people who love me and we've built a real sense of vulnerability within there, I still need, in an evening, when, I know, when we know there's something I probably need to share and get some support on, I still need Catherine's dagger eyes in the side of my head urging me to bring this out into the open. And we do need to cultivate those types of environments. So as a teacher, we often model or scaffold learning to allow students to express themselves effectively, for example, in their writing. So teaching jargon aside, we show them how to write a nice sentence. This is one that I use, particularly good. You can imagine me at the front talking about teeing it up. Okay, so we say, state your point. Just tell me what you're saying. Give me an example. Link it back to the point. Link it back to the question. Teaching practice at its best. But in a moment, I'm going to show you some groundbreaking confession-based teaching practice pedagogy relating to uh, confession and vulnerability. Although in my experience as a man... Stereotypically, we can, and, and, and a lot of truth in it as well, we can find it hard to be vulnerable. We do desperately need men and women in the church to take out the airbrushing and just be real about their needs and struggles and weaknesses. And in doing so, without doubt, if we were thinking about stepping up, it's, that will lead others into that transparency with God where he can do his business. So here we go. Finished term. Still teaching. Can we have the next slide? Ah, it's not hard. I am struggling with, okay? That is a sentence starter for us to to use (laughs) with our friends, with our trusted individuals or groups. I am struggling with. Hard to say, but so powerful in its outcomes if if we do it regularly. Okay, and third, final thing. 
We've got to therefore point ourselves and others to Jesus. Uh, confession in this context, clearly, with other people, needs people to receive it. So what a privilege it would be, and it is, to be entrusted with someone's vulnerability and their failings. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can bring about the truth of grace and forgiveness in each other's life. Jesus, as we said earlier on, Jesus is the only mediator before God, and we don't need to administer forgiveness to others. Our role is to point to the truth of Jesus and his victory. So we need to be careful about playing down sin, saying it's all okay, because it's not God's best, but equally careful about attaching anything other than the finished work of Jesus as the answer. The truth simply that sin is defeated in him. So whilst we will naturally, because we, we, we care about each other, whilst we'll naturally affirm how much we value and love our friend, our main role is to affirm the truth of God's faithfulness and the wholeness and security of their forgiveness in Jesus. So through prayer, we're able to bring about an understanding of God's grace and make space for the Holy Spirit to work and mend and heal us. So I'm just going to leave us with this question, and I hope I've um, said enough to prompt some answers or some thoughts within that, but who is our go-to person or our go-to group, and do we need to find them? And some are sometimes often, some, yeah, sometimes often, often brings about um, space, a little extra bit of space to, to reflect on some things. So maybe the summer could be a time where we take steps forward in transparency. be great. Thanks. What I want to do is, as we've done each week, is just take a pause moment before we get to the next uh, kind of building block in terms of pace uh, and just really pick up on that question in terms of who is it we've got in our life that we know is for us and we can go and talk to about real stuff that we're dealing with. And the reality is for some of us, we'll just think, I'm not sure. And for us, that isn't then, oh no, it's actually, oh, maybe this is a moment for me to push in a bit more into this family, this community. I'd say small group is a brilliant place to start. Uh, but for others of us, it'd be like, oh yeah, it's these people. The question then is, are we speaking to them? And so I want us to contemplate that for a moment. The second question I want us to contemplate is that the thing that Matt left us with, I am struggling with, what is it? Here's the deal. Every single one of us in this room is struggling with something. If we say we're not, then I'd say the thing that we're struggling with is the fact that we're in unreality. Uh, because I promise you, if you're seeking to follow Jesus in this world, knowing that we're not yet perfect, there is stuff that we're struggling with that God's best is still trying to work in and through. There's stuff that I'm struggling with. And I want to give us just a moment before I introduce Mike, uh, just to contemplate those two questions. Who can I speak to? And second, what is it I'm struggling with?